Good morning. But um, thankfully, I've been studying the book of Habakkuk. It's an amazing book. I could not uh, imagine a, a more appropriate book for the times in which we're living. So if you would turn to Habakkuk chapter 3, we're going to do an overview of 1 and 2, and then we will get to Habakkuk 3. One of my favorite books, an overview of the Bible of all 66 books, is Highway 66 uh, to Calvary Chapel, or actually a Calvary Chapel pastor, Jeff Lassane, has written this. I re- greatly recommend it. And if you turn, it goes all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and it gives you an overview of every book and gives comments based on uh, the content and different uh, scholars who've done research. It's a wonderful book. Henry Ironside said of Habakkuk, it's the inspired authority for the fundamental doctrine of justification by faith and the certainty of judgment to come for those who reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit as to the Lord Jesus Christ. Warren Rearsby says, when you live by faith, you aren't worried about the things that go on in the world. Again, speaking of the book of Habakkuk, you may be burdened But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be concerned about crime and injustice, but we don't lose our faith because of it. We don't become discouraged and despondent and give up. The main message of Habakkuk is that the just shall live by faith. And then John Corson, one of my favorite on this book, I've listened to lots of sermons on Habakkuk, I've listened to lots of teaching. Uh, commentators. John Corson gets this book. He gets it and he loves it. And if you've ever listened to John Corson, he's one of our Calvary Chapel pastors who lost his wife in a tragic car accident when the kids were very young, lost his daughter when she was a teenager and grew up on the same road that her mom died on, and then just recently lost his son in the last couple years who was a pastor. He's a man who's lived through trial. He's a man who's lived through the doubts. He's a man who's lived through difficult times, and it shows, it shows. He says this, it's a beautiful gem of a book written by the prophet who started out wrestling with God and ended up worshiping Him. So, we will be looking today primarily primarily at chapter 3, but before we do, I want to give an introduction on the first uh, two chapters of Habakkuk. Habakkuk means one who embraces or clings. Some have said it even means wrestle like Jacob did with God, one who wrestles with God. Habakkuk begins his ministry doubting God. Our picture of Habakkuk is one who is really struggling with the way God does things. Have you ever done that? Have you ever questioned and gotten to the point in your life where you're like, well, God, why did you work it out like this? I know my parents were missionaries. They were on a church planning team to uh, Lima, Peru when I was two years old. They went through language school in Costa Rica, moved down, and within a couple years, they lost my little sister, a brand new baby, doing the work of God, giving up everything for God, and then God takes my baby sister home. Never had another daughter. It's tough, isn't it? These are tough times. There's three circumstances like that in my life, that being one of them, where you say, well, God, I don't quite understand, 
But we will, won't we, when we get to the other side. Habakkuk is at that point. He's saying, God, I don't understand. As we look at Habakkuk um, chapter 1, let's look at it now. It's the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. All right, so an oracle is a message from God, right? The author is Habakkuk. We know that he is probably a Levite because he's a singer and because he ends the book with three sailors, which we only see in the Psalms other than uh, this book. The last chapter is a song that we'll study today. It was written probably in the 7th uh, century B.C. and the 700s, before Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon Babylon made his way through Nineveh, Haran, and Carchemish on his way to Jerusalem. And we know that Jerusalem fell, the southern kingdom, in what year? 586, right? 586. Habakkuk is lamenting after the death of Josiah. During his reign, there was great revival in the country. People loved God. People were confessing their sin before God. They were repenting. There was much revival and then much blessing from God in Jerusalem or in, throughout the southern kingdom. But he passes away, and his son takes control, Jehoiakim, and he is a mess. He's a mess, okay? So you're, you're looking at blessing from God, a great reign of Josiah, and then you're looking now at the son of Josiah, which, who is just a train wreck. And he's a prophet during this time. Habakkuk is um, prophesying. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 13 through 19. Were you guys able to put it up? Okay, good. Woe unto him that builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, that uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him not his hire that saith, I will build me a wide house and a spacious chambers and, and cut out windows and its ceiling with cedar and painted with vermilion. Shalt thou reign because thou strivest to excel in cedar. Did not thy father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Was not this to know me, says Jehovah. By thine eyes and thy heart are not but for thy right covetousness and for shedding innocent blood and for oppression and for violence to do it. Therefore, thus says the Lord Jehovah concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, my brother, or ah, sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, Lord, or ah, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of an ass drawn and cast forth beyond the gates of Jerusalem. This guy was a mess. This is what he had to live through. And because he's living through this time, we know in verse 2 it says there's violence in the land, and the prophet is crying out to God in verse 2, and he says, God, I'm crying out to you, but you are not responding to me. I'm doing my job, God, but you're not doing yours. He says, I am praying and you're not saving. Verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. The law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. 
You guys get this? You feel like you're living through this ever now? So do I. So do I. So do I. So he is at a crisis of faith. He's at a crisis of doubt. He's doubting God. And he's saying, God, I don't understand why you're not listening to me. I don't understand why you're not responding. What is it that we can do? He, verse 5, God responds, look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I'm going to do something in your days, Habakkuk, that you're not even going to believe. I'm going to tell you something, you're not going to believe it. And basically, to summarize it, he says this. He says, Habakkuk, I've got it covered. I'm raising up a nation right now that's going to discipline these people that you're living among. And I've got, I'm going to take care of it. I'm sovereign. I'm going to take care of it. I liken it to this, brothers and sisters. You going into your prayer closet tonight after watching the nightly news and saying, God, will you please do something for this country? Will you please help us? Will you be merciful to us? And God responding and said, yes, I will. I've got it covered. You can be at peace. I'm raising up China right now, and I'm building their military, and they're going to come in, and they're going to clean house. Trust me. I love you. I'm going to protect you. But they're going to do their job, and they're going to be the tool in my hands that I'm going to use to take care of all this mess. That's what he was dealing with. Well, he didn't like that very much. He gets pretty upset. <laughs> and y'all, God wants to listen to us when we have doubts. He wants to be there for us. This book would not be in the Bible if God did not want us to bring our doubts, our frustrations, our concerns to him. He's there for us because he loves us. He's our daddy, and he wants us to bring our anger, our doubts, our frustrations, the things that we're questioning to him so he can help us deal with it. It reminds me of 1 Peter 5, 8, cast all of our anxiety on him because he cares for us. The word picture there is the Greek is, is putting a, a saddle on a horse, throwing it up. God wants to carry it. We can't carry it, but God can carry it. And Habakkuk, when he hears the fact that the Chaldeans, that the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to wipe them out, he says this, God, you're from everlasting. Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge Babylon, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? God, you're, you're too pure to use an unholy, more evil people than we are in order to come in and discipline us. God, you're not going to use evil to discipline evil, are you? You're too pure for that. So he's trying to correct God's theology. He's trying to teach God that God doesn't do these things, right? Not a good idea, is it? Not a good idea, but God is patient. <laughs> he is patient with Habakkuk. He is patient, and Habakkuk will learn before the end of this verse, I mean, the end of this chapter. You've made the Babylonians like the fish of the sea. They creep, and they gather them in nets. Verse 15, 
Uh, they, are, they honor their nets so much because they capture all these people, verse 16, that they're actually bowing down to the nets, the net God. They're going to they're gonna offer sacrifices. Um, they use hooks to hook people through their noses, as we know from church from, from history, and they would drag them away with hooks. Verse 17, will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? So, the prophet has offered his heart to God. The prophet has listened to God. God has responded to the prophet. He's told him how he was going to deal with it. And he didn't like that, okay? So now, I think there's a pause. He's waiting to hear back from God again. So, chapter 2, verse 1. He's standing on the tower, on the rampart. He's in his prayer closet, so to speak, waiting for God. And he says, I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Because he knows the reproof, he's going to be reproved. He's, he's going he's to learn. He's just taken issue and said, God, you didn't do it the right way. So he's, he's waiting. And how does God respond? He does. He says, the Lord answered and said, record this vision and record it on tablets. He wanted this to be, to be remembered. So that's why we're reading it now, right? He said, record this, that the one who reads it may run, for the vision is yet for the appointed time, and it hastens toward the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but, and this is the key verse for this entire book, this is the timeless principle, if there's anything we want to learn, but the righteous will live by faith. You've got a train wreck all around you. You've got chaos. You can't control your circumstances. You can't control the people you're living around. But the righteous will live by faith. They call him the father, the grandfather of the Reformation because of that verse that's there. That'll be repeated in Galatians. It'll be repeated in Romans. All right, and he said the righteous shall live by faith. That means when everything out here doesn't look like it's going the right way or that God's in control, when everything out here is disturbing us and causing us even to fear, that we live not by what we see and the chaos around us, but we live and put our trust in God and God alone, and we live by faith. We live by faith that He's going to come through. We live by faith that He loves us. We live by faith that all things work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, right? Romans 8, 28. And that He's going to come through. And even the mess that we're in, He is going to use to make us stronger, to show us that He loves us more, and that He's going to be there for us no matter what. God goes in from verses 4 uh, through 12, actually even down to verse um, 17, and he goes into the woe, 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 talking about creditors, talking about the drunkard, talking about evil, um, just society that Habakkuk is living in. It's a great description of exactly what he was having to deal with day by day, bloodshed, verse 12, 
Uh, he's, uh, <laughs> before he goes into the, on one of the last woes in verse 15, he just says this out of the blue. God says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's a little gem right in there, right? That's a big one, isn't it? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Guys, we have a lot to look forward to. When Jesus comes back to take us to be with him, when he comes back to reign here for a thousand years, he's going to make everything beautiful. He's going to bring justice. The lion will lay down with the lamb, yes? The child will play in the adder's den, right? Jesus will come back, and the earth will be filled. And even before then, you guys, this last century, we have watched God use terrible circumstances, world wars, a holocaust. But we have seen one of the greatest advances in the kingdom of God since the earth was created through the missionaries that have gone out. My father as a child saw Time Magazine and saw the bodies of those missionaries who were speared to death down on the Amazon and was called to be a church planner. God has used his wife, one of the missionaries' wives, um, Elizabeth Elliot, to go back in with her little daughter Rachel to move into that tribe that speared her husband, save that whole community with some of the other wives as well. God has done amazing things through terrible tragedy. He even used the Holocaust to begin what? The nation of Israel, right, in 1948. God uses the wreckage of society and the chaos that the enemy brings. And yes, his job description is to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to take us out. But God uses the horror that he brings and he turns it for our good, for our good, because he loves us and because he's got us in his hands. Turn with me to chapter 3. Habakkuk listens, and then he can't help in this chapter but praise the great and mighty and amazing God that he is going to worship Worship is acknowledging who God is and what God does to God himself with an attitude of praise. Worship is acknowledging who God is and what God does to God himself with an attitude of praise. That's what worship is. It is good to praise God because, number one, it gives appropriate honor and glory to God. Number two, it declares God's specific works. Number three, it teaches and reminds us of who God is and what He has done because it places man in proper perspective under God. And lastly, because it builds confidence in the power and works of God. The majesty of God. We'll look at four different things here as we, as we look at Habakkuk's worship. He began with doubting. He's ending in worship. He began with, with a crisis of faith as God taught him and teaches him in chapter 2. He is concluding this book like so many of the Psalms. 
he's realigned himself with who God is and what his purposes are, and he can't help but praise. He can't help but praise God. So we'll look first. Worship is praising God for His holiness and His mercy in verses 2 and 3. It's praising God for His glory and power in verses 3 and 4. It's praising God for His acts and His love for His anointed ones in verses 5 through 13. And lastly, it's praising God for His sovereignty and His strength in verses 14 through 19. So it begins, it's a shigioneth, that's <laughs> a hard word to say, it's a highly emotional poem there in verse 1. He says, I've heard the report about you, and I fear, God. You have said all of these woes, and I know that you're bringing all of this calamity through the Babylonians. God, revive your work in the midst of all of this, he says in verse 2. Oh, revive your work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Guys, that's our job as a holy priesthood. We need to bring mercy in the middle of this craziness, this chaos. When we see people headed to hell and happy about it and rejoicing in it, we need to pray for mercy. God, help them to see the truth. Save the soul before they're lost. And that's what, that's what Habakkuk's doing here. He says, God, have mercy. I know it's coming. I know, hey, what you said is going to happen. But please, God, have mercy. Please have mercy on, on my people. I love my people. God, you know, you love your people as well. I know they need discipline, Lord, but please, please have mercy. Verse 3, God comes from Teman and from the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. It's a pause. Again, this is a song. As you'll see in the bottom here, he's going to ask for it to be sung as Christian did this morning on stringed instruments. By the way, Christian, you could not have picked any better songs. Those are amazing songs for this this message today. God did that. God did that. Thank you, brother. So, this is a reference to Mount Sinai, the area of Mount Sinai. These are two mountains there where God came probably from to Mount Sinai. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of His praise. This is not only looking historically at God, what God has done at Mount Sinai, but it also is prophecy on what He is going to do in the future brothers and sisters, as He comes back. His radiance, His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of His praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from His hand, and there is the hiding of His power. So it's like His fingers, His hand turned this way, and the light coming through each of His fingers and spreading out. It's this power that it says it's hidden in verse 4. It's a stealth he cannot unleash all of his power because God is too great, he is too wonderful, he is too amazing. On Friday morning, I drove into work, and as I drove up Industrial Drive in Lexington to number six, the sun covered the entire road in front of me up on the hill. It just covered the whole thing from left to right, and there was this beam going straight up into the sky. It was amazing. God just does amazing things. He paints the most beautiful pictures, the sunsets, the sunrises. God's power is greater even than our sun. Verse 5, before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. God's power is in His presence, His sovereignty is over all of creation. 
There's nothing in the natural universe that is not subject to Him entirely. His ways are everlasting. Verse 7, I saw the tents of Cushion under distress. The tent curtains on the land of Midian were trembling. He even affects that which men have built as he comes in. This is where Moses' wife was from, Midian. From, she was a Cushite. Uh, this is the imagery here. Again, historical in the sense that this, was actually, this actually happened when uh, of course, Moses brought the children of Israel out of Israel, but also imagery of what it will be like when he comes back. Our doors will rattle. He is big. He is big. His power is great. Did the Lord rage, verse 8, against the rivers, or was your anger against the rivers, or was your wrath against the sea, that you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? Again, reference to the great waters that he divided so his children could peacefully, with the little children and the animals, get through. But as the army came in to crush them, they say came in to kill them, what does he do? He unleashes them on the army, unleashes them on Pharaoh, and all were lost. Verse 9, your bow was made bare, the rods of chastisement were sworn you cleaved the earth with rivers. Cleaving the earth with rivers is basically using uh, rivers as kind of a wedge or as a force to, to make path, paths that he has desired. Um, he is the one who even directs the rivers to flow. Verse 10, the mountains saw you and quaked. The downpour of water swept by. The deep uttered forth its voice. It lifted high its hands. The poetry in this chapter is pretty amazing. As, you, as we conclude it, you'll see it even more. Sun and moon stood in their places. They went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your gleaming spear. In indignation, you marched through the earth. In anger, you trampled the nations. We have to deal... Right now, the progressive church movement is getting rid of the wrath of God. All right? They're getting rid of it. They don't want anything to do with the wrath of God. The emergent church, the progressives deconstruction of Christianity. Do you know, guys, that there is a deconstruction going on right now of your faith in society? It's very, very popular. They want to deconstruct it. They want to get rid of the wrath of God. They want to get rid of God's judgment, and they just want the loving God. They're recreating God in their package. Richard Rohr has done an amazing job with this, as has Rob Bell. These are names that are very, very popular in the fringe evangelical communities, and they are trying to take our children away. They're trying to take our hearts away and convince us that God is not a God of judgment, that He's not a God who actually brings judgment, that He doesn't have wrath, that He's not angry. And we should never be angry because that's wrong. Is that true? No, it's not true. We have to live by the Word of God. They are basically discrediting the Word of God. They are basically saying that the Word of God is something that is only true as long as your experience validates it. It's a tricycle, Richard Rohr says. The big wheel on the front is your experience. The little wheel on the back is the Word of God and tradition. Okay? We have to combat this heresy. It's heresy. It's wrong. It's not the Word of God, and that's not what the Word of God teaches. 
God will come back and He will judge. He is a great God. He loves His children and will protect His children. But the evil and injustice we see will be dealt with. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Let him do it. Guys, when you're hurt or your loved ones are hurt, let him do it. He'll do it so much better than we can. Let him take care of it. He will take care of it. God is a God, yes, who is loving and gracious. His loving kindness is everlasting. At the same time, you reject him and you spit in his face and you don't repent, there will be judgment. I heard, verse 16, my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Habakkuk has the right response. God is amazing God of love and incredible mercy, but he's also a God of justice. And because he realizes this and understands what is going to happen to his beloved nation, his inward parts trembled, and his lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. This prophet's sitting there, and he wants to get out of Dodge, I'm sure. Let me go to Egypt, or let me, let me go, let me see what's up in Greece, maybe, or maybe go to Italy for a while. I don't want to sit here and wait. God is making him sit here and wait for this. He has to wait for this imminent crushing blow that's coming from Babylon, and because of that, he is trembling. Because of that, he is experiencing, as he says, a decay entering his bones. This could have been a physical phenomenon as well. I don't know what his age was, but he could have felt the the pains of arthritis or something that's physically affecting him because of the fear of what is going to happen. Verse 17 through 19 is probably the greatest statement of faith in the Bible. And we need to remember this. If our country continues to decline, if our country tears itself up from the inside out, if we're Affected by those from outside who come in, we need to remember what this says in verses 17 through 19. Beautiful poetry at the same time. Tremendous comfort for us. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls yet, I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. For us, God, if you don't have gas for me to put in my tank, if my fruit trees and my garden doesn't give me what we need to eat, if there are wildfires that are destroying the land that I'm living in, if hurricanes come and devastate my home and all of my land and, and put salt water on everything and kill all my grass and everything that I've got, God, if I lose my job, 
God, if I don't have any resources left yet, I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation because he will continue to provide for us, brothers and sisters, because that's what he, that's what he does. God provides for us. We know that from Matthew 6, that God will provide all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. And he says, verse 19, the Lord is my strength, and he has made my feet like the hind's feet and makes me walk on my hind places, on my high places. The Lord is my strength, and he has made my feet. When we are at our weakest point, his strength flows through us in ways we could never, ever be used by God. When we are at our weakest point, God's strength will flow through us. This is a beautiful image here. This is an image of a mountain goat, an impala, or one of these animals that love to skirt up mountains that are like this. And man, they go up with those four feet, they hit every spot in milliseconds. Boom, 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 boom. They're up, they're gone. You can't even see their feet. God has promised to make our footing sure in places that are absolutely, could absolutely devastate us. One slip and we can fall two to three hundred feet and be dashed on the rocks. But God makes our footing sure because He is there with us to guide our feet, to help us when we're walking through this wilderness that we're living through right now, this godlessness, this God-forsaken land in which we're, we're living in. It's becoming more and more and more God-forsaken. It's rejecting the will of God, the Word of God, the place of God in our society. God will give us sure footing, and we will make it. We will make it to we're safe at home. Amen? because He loves us, because His promises are, are true. He will use all these things for our good because He is a merciful God. He is a loving God for those who are His children and who love Him. He will come through. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Habakkuk. We thank You for the honesty of the prophet. Thank you that you recorded it for us. And Father, when we struggle, when we are up against that wall and we don't know where to go, Lord, we're in that corner, Lord, I pray, God, that you will strengthen us with these words, that, Father, our feet will be like the mountain goat's feet, the hind's feet, Lord, as we skirt through these high places that, Lord, could kill us at any moment, Lord, we ask that you'll please help us. Lord, when we are full of fear, that you will please come in and rescue us. Father, when we are suffering from panic attacks, Lord, that you will take away the fear and that you will bring in the presence of your spirit, Lord, to remind us that we are yours, that you love us, that you're holding us, that you're helping us, that you're guiding us through. And Father God, I just pray that we will continue to be faithful, to be your witnesses, Lord in a godless land, that we will continue to rescue many, Lord, from the fires of hell as we're your messengers giving them, Lord, the reason for the hope that's in us. Father, make us 
your messengers. Father, if we struggle, if we're ashamed of the gospel, I pray you would take away the shame and give us strength and power and confidence to spread your word so that they can be saved and they can go to heaven with us, I pray. Father, if there's anyone in here today that has not yet given their life to you, I pray that today would be the day that they would come to know Jesus Christ and him personally. With every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anyone in here today who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Is there anyone in here today that would like for me just to pray for you? You don't have to get up or walk an aisle or anything. Just would like me to pray for you. If you'll just slip up your hand so I can pray for you today. Is there anyone? Anyone that would like to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? To know God, to live for God, to love God? Anyone today? All right. Father, we thank you for your word. Strengthen us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.